Answer that question in this strange new era of analytics. Mad transfers. How did it get hit? Well, it looks to me like you portaled it. Oh, what? You know portal from wherever you were to here. What's that? It's a, a different kind of portal. It's just changed so radically and we're all... To catch up. And realignments. They both be pencils. Yeah. All we do know is the boys are back, and the Joe Beaver Show plots its own course. Now there are a few more topics that we have to cover, and we will not talk about transfers, and we will not talk about my mother. We will talk about what I want to talk about. Fair enough. Who's next? Joe Beaver is. On 1240 Joe Radio. Yes, Joe Beaver Show is on the air. Good morning, everybody. Good morning and welcome to the program. My name is John Warren, joined by Mike Parker. Mike will be here in a moment uh, doing some uh, uh, producing of the show. And uh, he should be here any time now, uh, (laughs) barring a train on either Queen or 34. But uh, did you make it to either of the basketball games last night? Um... The, uh, the women's game over 3,600, 3,300 for the men's game, and that's uh, pretty good. On the very first night where college basketball teams can schedule games, the season officially began last night. Our lineup today will reflect that as well as football. We have uh, two guests for sure, and Mike was able to pull them out at the last second, which was great. And our first guest, I cannot wait. I really always enjoy the conversation with Ted Robinson who will have the call of the Beaver Cal game against uh, uh, coming up this Saturday night at six o'clock, along with Yogi Roth. So uh, again, Ted Robinson and Yogi, who have seen the Beavers several times this year, and that will be uh, the tandem that will call the game coming up on Saturday night, six o'clock. You heard yesterday we discussed the eleven fifteen airtime Pacific time of the game the following week against um, Arizona State on the road. That'll be an, an interesting day. And then uh, coming up uh, a little bit later on today, so 11.30, Ted Robinson to, uh, to join us, talk some football, Beaver football, Pac-12 football, and, uh, and all of that. Then at 12.05, there is a chance, and we're still kind of holding out for a women's basketball player. We think we uh, may have uh, A.J. Marat, and then uh, just kind of final, finalizing that, making sure that her schedule, her schedule works. And that would be great. She was the leading scorer last night for Oregon State, although it was Noel Mannon who hit the uh, the game-winning free throws or free throw at the end of that contest last night. Uh, a weird one. The Hawaii is a very good team. And they jumped out to a 20-7 to early lead. And it was just kind of, there was a little bit of this last year with Oregon State getting down early and then making comebacks. And that was the case a lot, especially in the preseason. And hopefully it's not the case this year, but who knows? It's, it's all so many new faces and new players on the team. But they started to uh, hit some shots and make a comeback. And the men, the same thing. But the women getting down 13 and then eventually coming back to tie it at halftime and getting up by double digits. And then at the very end, a very good Hawaii team came storming back to to tie the game at 60-60. to 60. And it was one of those cases, Mike, Mike getting here now, uh, where at the uh, end of that game, it was kind of a 
I can't believe you called that call. Now, it favored Oregon State. The scrum in front of the Hawaii bench that resulted in a foul call. It was a scrum for the ball, and a foul was called. And I thought, you know, just to be fair, look, see it as we see it. If I'm Hawaii, I'm not real pleased with, with the whistle on that one. You could let it go to overtime. And with four tenths left, they get uh, the the Beavers get free throws, which is great for the home team. That's all. That's all fine and dandy. But just out of, you know, <laughs> I just thought it was a bad call. Now I only saw it from the one angle, the TV angle, and uh, you know who knows what it was on the other side. You didn't get a lot of protesting from the Hawaii coach and uh, Noel Mannon after missing the first makes the second. The Beavers win the game. But props to her because it was her first chance starting, was a walk-on, and now she was one of the, the two main players for Oregon State last night in women's hoops. He was kind enough to join me for a couple of minutes uh, that I recorded before the game and played at halftime. And at halftime, it wasn't looking particularly good. But one thing Dan said in that conversation that I played at the half, I, you know, and they had to set it up with Dan, we have no idea what the score is now. But what are your thoughts about what you've observed and seen from uh, Wayne Tinkle in this recalibration and all the new faces, et cetera? And Dan said, well, I don't know, Mike, except that Wayne loves this team. He has emphasized that in our conversations. I can tell by watching them in practice that it's a team that he can coach and coach up and that he really likes. And so that's going to go a long way. That all came to the fore, John, yeah. watching them dig out from a 19-point deficit to win against a, a good program, mm-hmm. a, a team that mm-hmm. just, uh, you know, as recently as a couple of years ago, won 20-plus games. Frank Haith had a pretty good run. They, yeah. they, that's a good team. You saw them firsthand last year beating the Beavers down in Tulsa in a close game. For the Beavers to be 19 down and come back and win with a – a lot of young players, one of the youngest rosters, if not the youngest in the country, just in terms of the least amount of experience coming mm-hmm. to the floor mm-hmm. this year in Division One hoops. That was a good win. It was, and it was a, they chipped away at, the, at, mm-hmm. at it. I kind of thought it was going to be a situation where they came storming back. Yes and no. It took a, a little bit of time. And it wasn't like this massive momentum thing. It was just better play. They had foul trouble with their two bigs in the first half, which allowed Tulsa to get a lot of layups. And that turned in the second half. And, one of the, big and the Beavers were a little sloppy, not as firm with the basketball yeah. in the first half. Passes into the turnovers, uh, turnovers leading to, to runouts. And, and the Beavers needed to clean things up and be better. And they were in all respects yeah. in the second half. It yeah. was impressive what, to what see. What was impressive was, you know, clearly from last year, if you compare last year, it's hard to do because it was so bad. And all those guys are gone. But this group is a completely different group. Whether they win six, seven, eight games, doesn't matter. They're playing better. They like each other. There's chemistry there, and there's some good players. Uh, Pope, Pope is a Ooh. fun kid to watch, and he's only a freshman. And the thing I liked with Pope, the clutch threes, yes, yeah. but the ability to cr- kind of create them quickly. Uh-huh. Quick crossover, step into a three, bang it. Catch in, and shoot. Inbound pass it. on in the first half on the baseline turn, shoots yeah. a baseline jumper. No, nice. I, that, that, there's there's a dimension there. Yeah, there's something there. I also like uh, uh, the kid from Washington. Tyler Billado. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like him. Now, he didn't shine as much in the game as he did, obviously. But he's going to help. Clark, you know he's that. Be, he's and Joel Marial is a defensive force. Four blocks. Yeah, and c- some of them were... 
borderline spectacular. Now we're going to go to. I asked Eric Revenue yeah. when we had him on last Thursday um, about if he is a shop lot. He said no. I know. I know that he didn't really have yeah. that rep. And I per was kind of surprised. But he's a gamer when it comes to But how can you not be blocking. when you're seven two and you have the biggest wingspan? No, he he covered a lot of floor. Did. He did. And got to shot maker a uh, shot attempters and blocked uh, so we've got uh, Tumwater and Paul. Paul was at both games, I believe, last night. I know I saw him at the men's game and he yeah. was probably uh, walking around as he always does with his uh, my favorite Martian radio type <laughs> thing on. It looks like, hey, Ray Walston, good to see you. He's got uh, he he's got the radio on, and he was walking last night before the game. Visited with uh, Mike Shacker, came by to say hello. So Paul will give us his account of what he saw at Gill. I'm not sure what Tumwater is calling about, but Dave from Tumwater, as you listen on hold, Dwight says to say hello to you. Tell Tumwater hello for me, please. So that's from Dwight, who has been working security for many, many years at Oregon State events and is one of the the best of Beaver fans. Dwight, if you're listening, there's the shout-out to Dave from Tumwater, (laughs) but it was good to see you last night. Look forward to seeing you Friday when the Beavers host uh, Florida A&M, which Oregon throttled Mm -hmm, last night. mm There's kind of a Pac-12 SWAC legacy series going on now with a lot of Southwestern oh, Athletic Conference playing Pac-12 schools. It has started. We'll talk more about that as we approach Friday's game. But today, before we get to some calls and open phones and texts as well, your reaction to both games or the one you watched or attended or both, whatever, we'd love to hear from you. Dan Wamini will join us at 12.30 to talk about last night's game. Ted Robinson has the call with Yogi at 11.30 at Reeser. Uh, he'll join us at 11.30 today, has the call at Reeser Saturday night with Yogi, 6 o'clock. And tomorrow, Todd McKim and Joe Starkey himself. Oh, boy. So we look forward to talking to the legendary Joe Starkey, whom some say has the greatest call in sportscasting History. This is his swan song. And he's bidding farewell after 48 years as the voice of the Golden Bears. And this, the 40th anniversary of the play. Oh, my God, the band is out in the field. Call. A good one. I remember it live. (laughs) It's unbelievable. So we'll revisit that with Joe. We've done it before, but we'll do it again tomorrow. And this is Final Trip to Our Neck of the Woods. And he'll talk again about a lost down or something. I've got to rehash the history on that. Cal oh, Beavers. Cal, Oregon and, State. Yeah. Cal lost a down or some, yeah. some weird thing happened. The clock, and, uh, yeah, they added time back to the yeah, clock. Oregon State jobbed them. Yeah. And Joe remembers that almost as well as he remembers the band being out on the field. <laughs> Didn't he bust into Daryl Lonnie's box well, yeah, and say, what's up with that? Yeah, something to that effect. Yes. <laughs> you know, old Daryl could say, ah, sorry, sorry, Joe. <laughs> That's what okay, now we're happen. laughing. So no, we, I know. We can't get too exercise if that happens somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, so, yeah, we all owe one anyway. somewhere. <laughs> so let's get to calls. Uh, A.J. Marat is, may be joining yes, us at 1205. Yes. Uh, there was a, uh, earlier today the indication was high likelihood. And w- in these days of analytics, 75% <laughs> chance of winning, 98% chance of yeah. winning, 67% chance of winning. I think we've got about an 80% chance of yeah, A.J. Marat at 12.05. That's weird when they I know, do that. I know. Because I've seen 90-something and then they lose. <laughs> they, I know it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to uh, Tumwater, and then Paul is on deck. Dave Dwight says hello and good morning. Welcome to the Joe Beaver Show. 
Good morning, gentlemen. That's great to hear. And in fact, uh, more in the uh, era, spirit of the era of good feelings with Dwight, uh, rather than channeling Mad Dog Russo <laughs> today. Uh, and uh, Dan from Beaverton, uh, uh, and, uh, just to start out there, I wish I could say as nice things uh, about Husky fan as Dan did. It's better than it used to be, okay. but I still got it. I still got a couple snide comments. He's kind of walking into the gate and some Husky fans, what are you doing here? And mm-hmm. there was some other snide remark leaving the stadium or have a nice ride home, Beaver fan. Right. That kind of stuff. It's better than it used to be. And Mike, I'll just say, I go out of my way, especially at baseball games, to welcome people to the campus and to Corvallis. I'm not even from there. Mm-hmm. And it's just disheartening to get that kind of treatment when all you're doing, actually, you're paying a compliment to them and their program when you go to their stadium mm-hmm. to watch a game, and they're too stupid to realize it. Uh, I'm veering back into mad dog mode, so let me catch myself. <laughs> okay. And by saying, I was astonished with the report yesterday. There were only 38. I knew it was far less than full attendance. Yeah. And I was astonished there was only 38,000. My point being, Mike, and you may remember when Bill King, when he was the voice of the Warriors, Bill always, when uh, early on the uh, Rick Barry era, they'd play a game of Madison Square Garden. That crowd would just kind of start roaring like a lion. That was kind of uh, one of Bill's uh, favorite tropes. And being down low right next to the Oregon State Band, which is my main reason for calling, I'll get there soon enough, it was, it's still so intimidating when that crowd mm-hmm. gets into it. But the good news is, is that when Research Stadium is finished next year, Oregon State will be the most intimidating place mm-hmm. to play in the conference. Conference, I'm absolutely convinced of it. But let me move to my main point, Mike. We were sitting right, seating right across the aisle from the band. And now I know why, uh, I don't know if people know this, but band members wear earplugs in their ears mm-hmm. because it can be damn loud when, when they're around them. Uh, but it was great fun, especially when things were going their way. But at halftime, and by the way, at, the reason I mentioned Bob Hope yesterday, that was just an awful half. The band was, the Husky band was okay. But that Bob Hope impersonator, you cannot do a comedy routine that, that goes five minutes long at the halftime of a football game. That just bombed. So I was just curious what Sarah thought of it. But but during halftime, I, I walked up to... Um, Olin Hannum, who's the assistant band director, and he was leading the team through all, through, through all of their routines. And I asked him, I said, Where, what is the origin of the first down riff that the Oregon State band mm-hmm. does every time the Oregon State team has a first down? And they had plenty of them in that first, uh, first quarter. And it's one of the best such things in college mm-hmm. football. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Huskies have a very wan and weak one by comparison. <laughs> and he told me that... That a fellow uh, previous band director, um, Brad Townsend, uh, developed that uh, from from an old um, uh, by a short symphony by a fellow by the name of um, uh, H. Owen Reed, La Fiesta Mexicana. He says it's from the second movement, which is 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 drawn on the liturgy from the Catholic Mass that Reed hmm. saw or witnessed in Mexico, and that was his inspiration. So, so he said, look that up and, and see if you can track down Brad Townsend. Well, I did. He's now the director of the of bands at, at Pitt. I sent him an email. He responded to me last night. 
And he says he, he can't really take credit for that adaptation. He says that, that, that first down, including the hook chant at the end, came from a halftime show before he even got there starting in 2002. He said he confirmed that it's from La Fiesta Mexicana, which was a halftime show in 2001. And even Chris from Tumblr, because our son, we went, she and I went to all those games then because our son was still going there. She remembers that, that, uh, that theme. But, uh, but, hmm. um, but Townsend says he can't take credit for playing it after every, well, all he takes credit for is playing that riff after every first down. It was played periodically. But he just insists that we're just going to do it after every first down. And I'm quoting now from his email. It just grew into what it is today. Very cool, right? And, of course, I agree. Yes. He says, and this is my concluding observation, and I've got a suggestion for a future program element here, if you might allow me to be kind of a, a producer on the side. He says, the true origin of that riff belongs to newest Norfleet, who was Townsend's predecessor at the band, uh, he's now at Grants Pass High School. He's still active. Uh, and he's the one that made the adaptation from Reed's uh, uh, Symphony. Or a fellow by the name of Dave Manila, who is now on the OSU band staff, who was in the band when that chant, when that riff started mm. uh, in 2000, 2000, uh, 2001, 2000 to 2003. So I just reiterate. That first down thing is one of the best things in the Beaver football experience. It's one of the best such things in all of college football. And I just wanted to chime in today, Mike, on a much more uplifting note yeah, I than, like it. Uh, than my call from yesterday. I hope you appreciate <laughs> that. I love it, Dave, in fact. Thank you for that. We're going to get to Paul. That's We've got Ted, Ted Robinson around the corner. I've written down a bunch of stuff here. And, Dave, we'll, we'll try to follow through and track down somebody from Grants Pass or – yeah, Brad himself, whatever, I but it, you, it's a great idea. Pitt, Brad's a good so. man. I, I like Brad, too, and he's at Pitt. Good for him. It's a good story, Dave. Thanks for that. We appreciate the upbeat nature of the call. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. The first, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, all of that as he was talking, yeah. Fields in one of his films in Poppy says, ladies and gentlemen, he's got this zither thing, and he says, it's my pleasure, and this is how I've always felt when I've listened to classical Radio, classical music with the disc, you know, the disc jockeys yeah, about to bring yeah. you the next piece, tonight's next piece. On uh, yeah. PBS or whatever <laughs> it is. The Fields goes, it's my pleasure to render for you the first jig of the opera Sweat and Snatch by Gilkel Kemal and Opus Pipiton. Something like that. I remember as a kid going, why? And mom says, no, no, it's just gibberish, son. It's just gibberish. But he's <laughs> mocking the name of was the mocking composers. the introduction of some piece that he plays on the zither. But <laughs> the first dujajig of the opera Sweat and Snatch by Gilkal Kimol and Opus Pipiton. Something to that effect. So that's as, as Dave was talking, some of that was coming into my mind for some reason. Now it's a great story. Yeah, though. let's go. Let's go to Paul. Paul, were you at both games? I know you were at the men's game. Did you see the women's game too? Yeah, I was at both of them. There, Mike. Uh, yeah, the, the the women. Gosh, they're such, they got such a new team that uh, it's going to take a while. But they they actually did play better in the second half than the first and. And uh, it was really encouraging, uh, kind of, to see some of the uh, the new players. That mm -hmm. uh, number two, uh, the the girl from Wisconsin, uh, 
man, if she got a smooth left-handed three-point shot, it's, it's really, really nice to see that uh, Scott has uh, recruited someone who can shoot those three-pointers. Well, he's done a little bit. He's done that. Yeah, okay. Go ahead. I turned around and looked at these people when we came back, you know, to take the lead. I mean, we were coming back, and everybody's mouth was hanging on, like, what in the world is going on? We had no expectation. I mean, I know I didn't. And Mm -hmm. and looking at some of the other fans around me, I know they didn't either. Had any expectation that this team was going to be this athletic and this good. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, it's only one game. I know, yeah. But oh my goodness, they they showed some some uh, grit. Yep. You know, just hanging in there and and athleticism, it's through the roof. I mean, they they got like four Alatishes on the team. Well, they they and Hawaii's a good team, so that well, that was a great comeback for the women and for and, the women yeah. and for the men. You're right. Oh. Pope is so athletic, and and even the guys that came back from last year, Dexter and Glenn Taylor Jr. was very good last year towards the the second half, and we're like, well, wow, he's the one guy, mm-hmm. so he's taking taking back over again. And how much did we miss Rodriguez and after getting hurt on the trip I was on right. early in November? So great to have him back. He was a, a he was a tower of strength on the boards in yeah. the second half. Rodriguez yeah. was and Scholes blocking shots. In the first half, and Jordan Pope's knocking shot, big shots down. Dimitri Reevney is going to be a big help, too. And so it is only one game. And Wayne Tinkles, you know, I could tell he was emotional last night on the postgame show. He said, Park, I've been around a lot of games. And, you know, he said, but that, that was just from all we've been through and all the tough times and last year that we all saw play out. I think that win meant a lot to him, and I know it meant a lot to the guys. It was fun to watch, Paul. Well, and if uh, the Beavers wind up with a winning record, I think that Tinkle would be a shoe-in for Coach of the Year in the Pac-12. <laughs> I mean, I, he, he's done an amazing job with these guys. And just uh, Dexter Acano, I think, is the guy that's taken over the team as far as the team leader, him and probably Glenn Taylor yeah. Jr. But, man, yeah. man, they they just, they just look really exciting. And I think if people watch this game and replay, they'll draw in a lot more attendance than they had last night, I mean, than, than they've had in the previous year. Thanks, Paul. Good to hear from you. We'll take a break on that note. One of uh, Ted Robinson just around the corner. This Friday, we have a Joe Beaver Roadshow. Really excited for it at University Hero. It's been oh, a wow. lot of years since we've been there. Yeah. I think uh, Georgie Kell, he came along the scene. Uh, no, that's uh, uh, Terry Cashman. Dave Kell, we're going to be at uh, University Hero on 5th Street, downtown Corvallis. University Hero and 5th Street Growlers. I can hear the jingle in my mind as I say it. University, University Hero, Hero right. and 5th Street Growlers. Great. And the Beavs. You know, kind of the and the Beavs is a throw in <laughs> at the end, but the Beavs is what it's all about. And the Joe Beaver Show <laughs> will be there. University Hero, 5th Street. We'll give you all the details as we go, but we hope to see many of you Friday, 11 to 1, at University Hero, downtown Corvallis on 5th Street. The great Ted Robinson up next, and I'm going to throw to him Joe Starkey's call. Mm. Is it the greatest in the history of sportscasting? And this is Ted, who himself is a tremendous broadcaster and has heard the great ones in the Bay Area through the years. I want to kind of get have him weigh in on the band is out on the field call. And we're going to have the man who uttered it tomorrow on the show, Joe Starkey. Ted next, 1240 Joe Radio. We continue on the Joe Beaver Show. Mike Parker with John Warren. It is a pleasure to welcome, as always, to the show, 
He has been a good friend to us through the years, a broadcaster I've respected and admired for decades, and he continues to do uh, the high-level work. He was at UCLA last night. He'll be at our place for football Saturday with Yogi Roth, the Beavers and Cal, a very important game for both teams, certainly for the Beavers trying to achieve now their best possible bowl destination. Cal trying to stay alive for bowl eligibility and snap a five-game losing streak, showing signs of coming to life on offense a bit. A lot of things to get to with our first guest today, Dan Belwamini, next hour. Maybe A.J. Marat from the women's basketball team. We're working on that, but it's a pleasure to welcome Ted Robinson to the Joe Beaver Show. Ted, good morning. Thanks for making time. Well, good morning, Mike and uh, John. Yeah, late night for both of us last <laughs> night. and You guys had the latest game, but I guess you had the best finish. It was pretty cool, Ted, and I don't know how much you were you know, getting scores and filtering them into your broadcast. Did we both tip at 9.06 thereabouts last night? No, you guys had uh, the UCLA game tipped at 8.40, so okay. we were the last start. <laughs> okay. So, so I, was with, I was with Bill Walton, and you know that that, that kind of requires pretty good focus. So <laughs> I, had a score, I had a score or two of your game, but not much more. But you did, first of all, did, you, did Bill, since he's come out with a statement and is kind of making the rounds about the exodus of the L.A. schools to the Big Ten, did he bring that up? Did you guys touch on that last night? Actually, Mike Miller, I think Bill did that intentionally okay. last week because he knew that he was going to be on the air last night with our first game of the year. And he put the, um, he put the statement out and he, and he did the podcast with John Wilner and uh, Canzano last week on purpose. So really, you know, I'm just a, a big believer in this, that the games are about the games mm-hmm. and we're not doing 60 minutes of real sports. You know, these are the kind of platforms that your show here where you can delve into that. So, so no, we didn't really touch into it last night. Um, and I know I had talked to I talked to Bill a little bit off the air, Mike, and it's um, I understand his his stance from this viewpoint. I uh, am very proud of my alma mater, the school in Indiana. Um, even though I disagree with them on some decisions, including a major football coaching decision they made a few years back, I disagreed very much with the stance the school took. It doesn't change your love of the school. And I think that's where Bill is right now. Um, you know, I, I, at least that's what I should say. Is I, that's what I took away from listening to him last week, was that he loves his school, he's proud of his school, he strongly disagrees with this particular decision. Which is no surprise, because he really loves his school, and he loves the Pac-12 conference. I don't think he wants to see the change, but again, that's, that's uh, a different thing. Ted Robinson joining us. So, what did you make of yesterday's drama that it, it was a little bit of drama where Dan Patrick comes on and says something to the effect of, we'll learn today. Now, as early as it, today. It, well, I, it sounded like he said as early as or, or today. And then Nick Daschle from Oregon Live said in the in the press room we were at, said, well, as early as today. And then there was actually follow up articles by and I haven't read them by uh, Wilner did a lot about that. He talked about the Patrick he didn't call it a gaffe, but the Patrick announcement, and then how he kept saying, that's wrong, that's not correct. <laughs> it's very rare. Well, I wouldn't say it's rare, but it doesn't happen very often, Ted, where columnists will call out other columnists or shows. In this case, Wilner yeah. was making a pretty good statement that, no, he was wrong on that. Well, I would say Wilner uh, has been the lead dog. I mean, mm-hmm. look, I, I've known John a long time, and I've 
learned a lot of what's happened since June 30th from reading John. Yeah. And he is wired. He's plugged. And I think the thing I admire most about John Wilner is he's fair. He listens, even if he doesn't agree, he listens to the other side uh, of, of a particular position or stance. Um, so I would trust his information. I, I think I've talked to you guys about this before. I have asked no questions because I don't want to know hmm. uh, until I need to know what's going on. But one thing I have been fairly certain about is what Wilner has written. I have been under the impression from probably mid-July on that there was going to be a sequence, and the sequence was media deal first, 10 schools sign on and continue for X number of years, then we decide who else to invite to the party. And I think that's what Wilner was talking about, because everything that came out, that whole buzz yesterday, was going to disrupt that sequence. Um, everything I understand is that that sequence is still in place. And Ted, just before we talk a little hoops and Beaver football Saturday night, I appreciate you saying that. It's difficult for us to not go down this line of questioning every week just about because there's still within me and I think in Beaver Nation and maybe in, in uh, up in Pullman and on the Palouse for Cougar fans, there's still a sense, uh, are, are we going to be okay? Are we going to be left out of this deal? The, the further we go, what you just said, you think there's a deal for the 10 that will at least get you through the next media deal and then maybe expand beyond that? Are you feeling better about that proposition? Absolutely, Mike and John. I absolutely do. I, I think, and again, this is just me piecing things together off experience, I guess, and, and educated guessing, because again, I have no inside information that yeah. that you don't have. I, I purposely avoided trying to go down that path. But the Big 12's deal to me was a good thing for the Pac-12, Pac-10, mm-hmm. in, in more accurate terms now, in that the Big 12 is in a lot of small college towns and small television markets. They lose their two biggest brands. And they got a better deal. Right. That's not a great. It's certainly not the Big Ten or SEC, but no one would have expected such. But it's a good deal, and it's good for the schools that remain. Why would that be a negative for the Pac-12? <laughs> yeah. and to me, it's the same difference. We have 10 schools remaining, losing, we think, losing our two biggest brands. But 10 schools remain bigger schools in bigger markets than most of the Big 12. Why would the Pac-12, Pac-10... <laughs> not be in a, in a place to get a, a good enough media deal to keep the 10 schools in cement for the next, you know, I, and I think the, the speculation that I've heard, the reporting from Wilner and Canzano is pretty accurate. It's going to be a, you know, a five, six year term, something like that. But if it gets everybody to sign up for those five or six years, okay, there's short term stability. And that's a good thing. Yeah. So I, I understand totally where you're coming from. And, in fact, I spoke to Pat Chun, the athletic director at Washington State, about this way back in media day, a football media day. And, of course, it was paramount on his mind. And, and I totally understand where the fan bases of those two schools come from. But um, the other thing I would say, guys, again, you know, we, I've used the lifeboat analogy before. And, of course, it, it pertains to your, your neighbors and the Cougars' neighbors. But if – Anybody had sent the lifeboats for Oregon and Washington, don't you think they'd have jumped in already? Yeah, yeah. And and my yeah. last thought on this, and we can turn to, to our game, but I wouldn't be surprised if if combining new platforms 
like Apple and or Amazon, there couldn't be huge dollars for this Pac-10 group. And then maybe, maybe UCLA sticks around. We'll know on that particular date coming up here in November, won't we? Aren't the chancellors going to vote? That's the report. Yeah, I mean, there is a meeting next week where you see the California Board of Regents has its next meeting, and that's on the agenda. So there is expectation there'll be some sort of a, of a, of a, of a course of action as opposed to just keeping to push the ball down the road. That, that can't go on indefinitely, obviously. Um, but, yeah, the course of action, I think, will be decided. But I, I just I, I keep I, I just keep coming back to the point that the, the 10 are in a pretty good place. Again, no one's expecting this is going to be the kind of money that the Big Ten and the SEC is getting. It just isn't going to happen. Um, but the 10 seem to be solid. And uh, I think the other thing you just pointed out, John, in that comment uh, is something I'm coming to grips with and I'm starting to talk more about it within our, for example, our Pac-12 Networks group that travels the conference every week for football. And I'm the senior member by, by, by birth certificate, and I'm the one that's been out there saying, you know, this jump to streaming, just understand how, how much pain there's going to be in the short term for that. I travel a lot on Thursday nights to our football games. And you walk through airports and airport lounges and hotels and restaurants, and there isn't a single screen that has Thursday night football on the show. Mm-hmm. Not one. Mm-hmm. doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. It exists in homes, and of course it exists on tablets and phones, but that's a large part of the populace that watches football that's not seeing Thursday night football. Eventually, bars and restaurants mm-hmm. and hotels will find out how to do this, but it might take five years, and that's going to be a five-year yeah. short-term pain. So, to the point of the Pac-12, if we are to believe the reporting that that there's likely going to be a streaming element involved in this, how much we'll learn, but it's clear that's where the dollars that the Pac-10 schools, the remaining 10, want and need to stay competitive, to stay viable in top-tier football, um, it's going to include the streaming element. It's going to be painful. There are going to be fans of my generation that are going to be frustrated and not understanding how to access through how many buttons do I have to push to get this. But it's, but, but your student base, yeah, your student base in Corvallis, they all think it's great. It's the way they, it's, it's right. the way they go. And, and so there will be a, a, a short-term pain period, but it's mostly going to be for people like me and, the younger generation coming through that's going to dominate is going to be fine with it. Ted Robinson joining us. Ted, you just said many things that bring an older, not, you, not yourself, but I'm thinking a guy even older than, than you, and that would be Joe Starkey, who we will be visiting with tomorrow in his 48th and final year. When you talk about the, the changing platforms, and I mean, the, the famous call that some have said, and I've heard this on a lot of shows and so on, Ted, that may be the greatest or most famous call in radio sportscasting history, even beyond the Giants won the pennant, the Giants won the pennant, might be Joe's call of the band is out on the field. Now, I don't know where you place that call in the history of the craft you've been involved in uh, your, most of your uh, adult life. But maybe you could take that on as Joe and Cal comes to Reeser one last time, and we're going to talk to Joe tomorrow about that call. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I so admire Joe for his longevity. And to do 48 years, as Mike, uh, you'll get there, I know, but to do 48 years with a school is, is awesome. It's, yeah. just, it's, it's fabulous for Joe, and I'm, I'm glad that he's having a chance to kind of go 
out in this last year where it's known that everybody can pay their respects and honor. Um, I was a young uh, announcer who had just started a job at uh, CBS Radio in San Francisco a month before that game. And, of course, this is the 40th anniversary. It'll be in two weeks' time, the 40th anniversary of that play. And just to give you an idea how time has changed, I was in, I was working Saturday afternoon doing sportscasts every half hour on the station. I had the game on the radio. There was no live television. Right. There, was a te- there was a telecast, but it was a delayed telecast that night in the Bay Area. There was no live TV of that game. So I, the play happened somewhere around 10 after 4 in the afternoon. I was listening to Joe, and I had to run in and do the 415 sportscast. So I went on the air and said something about how, you know, there's been this crazy, exciting ending to the big game in Berkeley. I'm not really sure what happened other than it's just complete emotional cast. Let's go to our, we had a reporter on the scene. Um, and that's my memory of it. It was, it was just Joe's call was not about, not about the actual technical call. It was about the raw emotion, yeah. the raw emotion of something so crazy, so ridiculous, so unexpected, yet because it was in a rivalry game, and any of your fans would understand the same thing if you were playing the Ducks and this happened, because it's the rivalry game, it's magnified by a 1,000. And 40 years ago, the big game sold every ticket in both stadiums. Sadly, that doesn't happen anymore. But this was an era when you did. And, uh, and so it, it, it just it lives forever, and it's raw emotion. Um, I have, a, uh, I freely admit, I have a more challenging time with it Although I've worked for both schools, mm-hmm. I did spend more time. I, I never did Cal football because Joe had the job. I did Stanford football for 13 years, right. as you know, Mike. And um, I, I, I know people lost jobs at Stanford because of that oh. play Seriously? and the lack of officiating on that play. Really, people lost jobs, and, that, and that's yeah. Paul Wigan and his staff. You know, the yeah. most astounding thing that game was the last nail in the coffin of one of the most extraordinary facts I've ever encountered in college sports. The man voted the greatest football player in the history of the pack when the pac 12 network did this top hundred players mm-hmm. of all time. One of you know, probably eight, nine years ago, early on in our network's life. Then you'll be went around and polled all the historians and people who covered the conference forever. And number one on the list was John Elway. Mm-hmm. John Elway never played in a bowl game. Mm-hmm. Let's think about that. Mm-hmm. Never played in a bowl game. Stanford, that was John's senior year. That game was his final game. And they were going to, back then, it was a decent game called the Blue Bonnet Bowl in Houston. But that outcome, that crazy play at the end that gave Cal the win, knocked Stanford into a losing record. They, the, bowl, the Blue Bonnet Bowl couldn't take them. So John Elway, the greatest player voted in the history of the conference, never played in a bowl game. Today, that's unthinkable. Yeah, that's quite a postscript, Ted. Ted, by the way, was who did Bob Murphy call the game for Stanford at that time? Do you who did call it? And is there any sort of tape recording record of the Stanford version of it? Yeah, the actual stand uh, the telecast was done by Barry Tompkins, and I forget who Barry's partner was. Uh, Barry would remember, obviously, uh, but Barry called it on the delayed telecast. Joe, of course, on Cal Radio, and Stanford's radio call was done by Ron Barr, oh, yeah. longtime sports yeah. writer, and Murph was yeah. the Murph was the color analyst. Okay, Ron Barr called. Ron Barr called, and I have heard 
a take of it. And obviously it's you know, no different than if you ever, the, the call that is the greatest raw emotion call in the history of sports casting is Russ Hodges. Yeah. The, the, um, the Brooklyn Dodgers call was Ernie Harwell. And if you heard Ernie Harwell's call, same thing. <laughs> Very matter of fact, right. not terribly excited. <laughs> and and Ron's call of the play from the Stanford side is the same. Wow. Ted, thank you for these interesting postscripts on all of this. Ron Barr, Sports Byline USA, yeah. one of the original national yep. sports talkers before sports talk radio got big, right? Exactly. And uh, Ron is still, uh, I haven't seen him in about two years, but he's still here in the Bay Area and he's hmm. uh, he does sports online USA things online now, and they all end up in the Library of Congress because he has had an incredible accumulation of, of interviews with the most notable sports figures of our time. So, but yeah, Ron had a stint. He did Stanford uh, radio before. Actually, I somewhat followed him. Mm-hmm. My first stint in Stanford football in the mid '80s was when the the stations changed and it came to the station I was working for. But Ron had been doing it for I don't know. Ron probably did three, four years of it. Quick, well, we'll get to our game. Maybe, maybe. Can you think? <laughs> on, can you think on the spot right now of what a third call would be? Giants win the pennant. The Joe Starkey's call. What third radio call would be a legend and lore? Oh wow, radio call. Um, well, game call. I know if you do game call, then you t- the miracle on ice. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I'm thinking well, radio yeah, call. Yeah, they, yeah, and, and, and John, you're, you're, but I think it is significant because radio and television calls are 180, and having done both for a long time, you know, I was going to say one of the great, one of the, I think there are two great baseball calls that I remember, but they were television calls, and one was Scully calling Kirk Gibson's mm-hmm. home run mm-hmm. in the 1988 World Series, and and the other was Jack Buck, Calling in the 1991 World Series, and I was a part of this, so it sticks with me. But in Game Six, Kirby Puckett hit a home run, I believe, it was the 11th inning, to uh, win the game for Minnesota and force a Game Seven. And Jack Buck's call on CBS Network Television was as the ball sailed over the fence. Literally, he said, "And we'll see you tomorrow night." Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. in the St. Louis Cardinals World Series in the early 2010s, and I think they were playing Texas, a Cardinal player hit a walk-off home run to extend the series, and Joe Buck mm-hmm. honored his father. He mm-hmm. did that call. Yeah. We'll see you tomorrow night, and it was an homage to his dad because it was just a great television call. On radio, you couldn't get away with it because you had to describe yeah. physically the ball going out. <laughs> so mm-hmm. they, they are two different things. But, um, you know, I... Like I said, I think both both the call, both Russ Hodges' call. If you if you think about, it, go back and listen to Russ Hodges' call of Bobby Thompson's blast. Yeah, yeah. There's a word that is never. There's a word that is never used. Home in run. That call. Home run. Right. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> never says home run. Right. Just and, the Giants win the pennant. It's going to be, in I Joe, believe, in Joe's call yeah. of the in Joe's call of the play. There's a word never used. Yeah, you Lateral. you texted that to me after you were kind enough to call yeah. and say you heard the end of uh, the call I had against Stanford on T- Treshawn Harrison's yeah. miracle catch. Yeah. I wrote you back and said, I missed it. I didn't say this. I didn't say that. But yeah. you said, don't worry about that if you weren't technically right, Ted. So I appreciated that. But what do you mean kind of by that? Well, I'm saying because the point is there are certain things that override. So technically, if you were going to teach 
a young announcer, uh, you know, yeah. how to call a game, those would not be right. exhibit A's. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't matter because the raw emotion, which is why we're all involved in it to begin with, right? Yeah. The raw emotion of such, an, of such a magnificent moment overrides everything. So the fact and believe me, it was a long time. I mean, I grew up in New York. My dad was a Brooklyn Dodgers fan. So I grew up listening to this, these stories all the time. And it was a long time before I finally realized, why, oh, you listen to the call, and Bobby Thompson hits into the lower deck of the left field stands. Right. He never says the word home run. No. Doesn't matter. Still considered the greatest call of all time. Yeah, that's Joe's interesting. call mm-hmm. is considered the greatest college football call of right. all time. So. Yeah. That's my point, and that's why I was saying to you about your call of Harrison, which mm-hmm. I thought was great, Mike. The, 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 you, you communicated the emotion hmm. of yeah. the moment, all of it, Thank the incredulousness, you. the unbelievability <laughs> of this thing happening. You got that across. Thanks. Thanks much, Ted. John said maybe. This is it. A quick thought. The Beavers play Cal. You and Yogi have the call. How do you see this game? I, I, I brought you in by saying it's huge for both, and I do feel like Justin's offense under Musgrave has shown some life of late. It makes me a little nervous. The Beavers trying to pick themselves back up after the gut punch in Seattle. I mean, how do you see this one uh, Saturday night? Yeah, well, I, I haven't seen Cal yet. Yogi and I have not seen Cal live this year, so we're going to be a little bit blind on that front. But they thought they struggled offensively, and it's been well known. Their offensive line has really struggled. They've made some changes there. You know, they had uh, Jaden Oppis, freshman running backs, had a couple of good games. And then this past Saturday, they had a fabulous second half. Plumbers winds up throwing for 400, their new quarterback. And the butt becomes it's USC's defense. And USC's defense is just not top shelf. And so I think this is where I'm going to expect to see what Trent Bray did. And by the way, I think it's the best defensive performance I have seen in individual game this year, guys, is what Trent Bray did against USC mm-hmm. at recent. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was incredible to handcuff yeah. That offense, the way you did until the final minute of the game, mm-hmm. that was just that was brilliant. No one else has come close to doing that right. to USC this year. So I would expect that that be the defensive effort against an offense that just isn't as good. No, no surprise. Um, and then you're, you're as you guys, you know, Mike, we were talking about this when you called. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm watching back you watching the game and seeing how close the bees were in the first half to opening up something that on a colder, windier night might have been hard for. Yeah. Washington overcome. And it's the same thing. I've, I've seen Oregon four times this year. Or excuse me. I've seen Arizona four times this year. And Arizona has the same problem. They have this high-powered offense, these great receivers, and they struggle to finish, mm-hmm. finish a drive. And it's what's hurting them. It's why they're not winning more games. And if the Beavs do that Saturday, I would assume this will be, uh, this will be I would think they'll be favored. It should be win number seven. Ted, it's great talking to you. Thanks for making time for us. It was a long stretch, but we covered a lot of historical ground there. Thank you so much, and we'll see you Saturday night in Corvallis again. Thanks, Ted, for joining us. Mike and John, thanks. And listen, you want some history. The first Pac-10 basketball game I ever called. Dan Bellwoman was my partner, Uh, so I asked him to relay that to you. Okay, (laughs) we're talking to Dan here in about 35 minutes. Thanks a lot, Ted. Great talking to you, sir. Ted Robinson, our guest. Good stuff there. Yeah, really good. You know, with Todd, we'll talk more pure football tomorrow. Yeah. With Joe Starkey, I think it may be a little bit of a visitation well, with on Ted, the play. Because of his national broadcasting yeah. history, there's so many stories that he has. We'll break. 
And we take the break straight up, maybe, on the uh, fan? If we time it okay. right, we can do it in uh, f- seven seconds. Okay, in six, five. five four, no A.J. Murad, unfortunately, oh, but no. Dan Pilwamini at 12.30. They're coming from everywhere. See the big baby traffic here for Country Road and Sink. Corvallis, Oregon. To see the total eclipse of the sun. to tell the I'm talking about the sky, McIntyre. Mike McIntyre and the Buffaloes are coming, amongst many others. He's a big baby with traffic here for country road and sink. Sight worth seeing. I know how you must feel. Yes, but not everyone's on board. And look at that sky. You look at it. But for everyone else, excitement is sky high for life in Corvallis. Sky star is amazing. There seems to be a lot happening in it all the time. If it's happening, you'll hear about it on the Joe Beaver Show. I'm expecting something special from there. Keep your eyes skinned. I want reports. Oh, you'll get reports all right. The best reports on the Joe Beaver Show with John Warren and Mike Parker. Nothing I can say. Total eclipse of the heart. And away we go with the Joe Beaver Show on 1240 Joe Radio. Harmon will probably try to squib it, and he does. Ball comes loose, and the Bears have to get out of bounds. Rodgers along the sideline, another one. They're still in deep trouble at midfield. They tried to do a couple of... The ball is still loose as they get it to Rodgers. They give it back now to the 30. They're down to the 20. Oh, the band is out on the field. He's going to go into the end zone. The Bears have won! The Bears have won! Oh my God! The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, heart-rending, exciting, thrilling finish in the history of college football. That is it. That is what we want. It isn't. I get chills. I got chills listening to it. I get chills every time I hear it, John. Almost <laughs> tears in my eyes thinking about it. And I don't. I had no dog in that fight or bear or yep. tree or Indian or cardinal or whatever else. Right. That is Same just here. an unbelievable moment in time. And Joe, even though his call, if you just, if you wrote down the words, what did he there say? There were a lot of words. Yeah. Um, Play it one more. Play it one more time to the point of you know uh, the cow's going to win. We don't need to have the last part of it, which is awesome too. But I want to hear it one more time. Just if you were writing down the words, what would you write down? Here we go. If you can cue it up again, and he's even saying they got to get out of bounds. (laughs) You know, (laughs) he's trying to coach from the booth, as we all do. Here Here we go. Harmon will probably try to squib it, and he does. Ball comes loose, and the Bears have to get out of bounds. Rodgers along the sideline, another one. They're still in deep trouble at midfield. They tried to do a couple of... The ball is still loose as they get it to Rodgers. They give it back now to the 30. They're down to the 20. Oh, the band is out on the field. He's going to go into the end zone. He's going to go the Bears. The Bears have won. The Bears have won. Oh, my God. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, heart-rending, Exciting, thrilling finish in the history of college football. Well, I don't disagree. <laughs> but if you if you try to write that all down, okay, it, it would not look good. No. What's what's he talking about? Right. No names. No. Rogers. He got Rogers. Yeah. He never did use the word lateral. They're going to try a couple. Of, they're still in trouble. They tried a couple of. He meant laterals. There was a backward player, passes. Yeah, and there was a player on the sideline. I don't know who it was. 
uh, on the first part where he says the ball is loose again or something like yeah. that. He was he looked like he was down. In, I know in the modern day. I know you'd review down. that thing. <laughs> but he a group of Stanford players were tackling this bear, and as he was down, it looked like he was down. Then he kind of right. throws the ball up in the air as a lateral to another bear who laterals to another bear. And he goes, and some guy named Rogers kept getting, it goes from the far sideline to the near sideline. And that's how they found some space. And then the band was on the field. Isn't it life better with no, I'm glad, well, we got to get it right. So we need to have the instant replay review process. Think about how anticlimactic life would be in the world. Had that, been in place then, right, right. we'd have no band on the field play. Right. We had to get reviewed. I was down around midfield. Now, Stanford would say, oh, well, we should have had that. Now, having no no previous replay, band, uh, Stanford <laughs> coaches and fans at the time, 40 years ago, probably couldn't or wouldn't have said, he was down, we know he was down. Maybe they did. Oh, but, I'm sure they did. But they couldn't say anything along the lines of, if you saw the review, you'd see that it was down. Because that's just kind of been pounded into our right. head in, in the, the modern, modern day. That's true. What a call. Now, John, speaking of calls, John has something he wants to share with us on the Downward Dog phone line. And we're disappointed that A.J. Murat isn't available, but it's sort of, I think, a day off for student-athletes and coaches. Yeah, the voting thing. Yeah, and I think it's all vote, no play day around the country, and our own Eric Reveno was part of that, getting the word out and educating and getting making sure student-athletes are engaged in this uh, voting day, an important process in our country. And and so I, I have a feeling that's why A.J. was not yeah readily available after all because of that. And that's great. She had a great line, 16.7 rebounds, seven of 13 from the field, including two of four from three point range did not go to the line, but did yeah, everything good else. For her. She's, I think she's poised for a huge year. So we have open phones until we visit with Dan Bell Wamini, Ted Robinson's first PAC 10 basketball partner, as Ted just pointed out, as it all comes full circle on the Joe Beaver show. Open phones and texts now, 497-5356. Joe Starkey, the man himself, tomorrow with Todd McKim. Let's go to John. John, thank you for the call and your patience. Welcome to the Joe Beaver Show. Thanks, Mike. Morning. Actually, good afternoon, I guess. Yes. Um, I want to go back to the Washington game in a second. And I'm still chewing on that one. But <laughs> I've been chewing on Pac-10, Pac-12, whatever it is anymore, uh, officiating in Especially since I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago, the Oregon game. I, I don't think it cost us the game, but clearly the, the refs made a call and didn't know the rules. I actually ended up, uh, I, I think I sent you the, the specifics that they didn't know. Mm-hmm. I sort of tended to just made, made a little bit of project hobby. I was paying close attention to, a little closer attention to PAC, officiating the pack. And I don't think, and I don't think it's, it's happened. I don't think there's any particular bias towards any one team. But what I do notice, I just think that there, it's very uneven. It seems like in every crew, almost every game, there's somebody in the crew who doesn't seem to know the rules as much, has to check in with anybody else or anybody else or somebody else, and ends up prolonging the game and 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 really making things a lot more painful than they have to be. And I and there are two really good examples in the Washington game. And I don't know if you noticed this or not, but in the first quarter, when we were driving the ball real well, um, for no apparent reason, after a, after a, a run by Martinez, that looked to me like it would have gone for a touch, could easily have gone for a yeah. touchdown, would have given us a two-touchdown lead. 
they stopped the play. Yeah. For, yeah. for no apparent reason. I mean, other than that I can figure, some official was slow, wasn't ready, and, and just canceled the play. That could have could have cost us the game, not that they mm-hmm. were going after us to cost us the game. Then in the fourth quarter, I guess it was, there's this ghost call for, what, 12 men on the right. field. right. What the hell? <laughs> no, that's what are, that was my where, reaction. Where did he get these guys from? <laughs> now, John, hang on, just I want you to continue the thought. You just uttered the phrase when you said what the that I almost said <laughs> on the radio to Jim. I said it out loud. I stopped I was. short, but I did say, you know what? You know, I I left the last the next two words off, but John, that's how I was feeling. Oh, I just, you know, and, and I'm not sure. Now, I'm not saying that the refs favored Washington and all, the, you know, all those, those spots are sure right, great. Right, right. But, but, I mean, that call, stopping Martinez, could easily have cost us the game. And you, you can attribute it to nothing else than some ref, some official down there who probably isn't as well-trained as the others, wasn't ready. So they just stopped the play after it started significantly. It's just no excuse for that in a pack, but you know, in a power five conference anymore, I think. Now, John, I wonder, can't something be done? Yeah, that's I a guess. good question. John, did you hear though? I am not now going to exonerate this official for blowing his whistle, but did you hear Jonathan yesterday? Sort of the, the explanation he got for that. Did you hear Jonathan yesterday on no, that? No, I'm, I'm sorry. I missed okay, that. Well, <laughs> well, uh, what was it? I don't remember him saying the explanation. <laughs> well, The explanation that I thought I heard from Jonathan Mm -hmm. yesterday was he was Jonathan was walking towards the official to ask for a timeout because the play clock was coming down and and would he have asked for it? But he ended he ended up not asking for it. The play ran, and then the official who anticipated that that's what Jonathan wanted in that official's mind, he thought in a sense. He was anticipating and doing him a favor and helping him oh. because he oh he wants a timeout. Hey, blow the whistle, I'll give it to him. <sighs> now then oh, Smith well, that was the explanation yesterday, but Jonathan didn't call for the timeout and the play should have been allowed to run. And if there's a penalty on the Beavers for delay a game, so be it. I know. And, and, and did you kind of have the feeling that he could have broken that play? It would have made a huge difference. Yes, yeah, sure looked like it. Yeah, it was going to be a big, big play. Maybe a touchdown. You're right. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll just end this by saying maybe the conference realignment and, and the new commissioner and stuff, maybe they can do something about about upgrading the, the, the uneven quality of officiating and at least make sure these darn guys know the rules. Yeah, that's an excellent point. <laughs> John, thank you. Thanks for making the call, sir. Now, Josh called very late yesterday, our own. What were we talking Josh about? Warden. Josh Warden. Well, he'll remind us. He had several things that he wanted to get into. Josh, we had no time yesterday. Now we have a lot we of time. We have all the time in the world <laughs> today. Josh, welcome to the Joe Beaver Show. How's life for you? Uh, it's going well. Thanks for having yeah. me back on, and uh, I appreciate the time. Good to hear both of you uh, on the airways. There's a few things. The, the lights uh, yeah. at the UW game, because I was there, and then men's basketball yesterday I was there at that game. And if we have a little time, I'd love to mention the, the World Series and some takeaways from that. Sure. Go on John's, yeah, on John's note from that particular play, I was there in the stadium and the, the head referee, Michael Mothershed, came on the microphone after Damian Martinez busted up the middle and then the play stops right before he was about to get tackled or maybe break loose. Mm-hmm. And Michael Mothershed 
said, there was no timeout by Oregon right. State. Right. And it just made me laugh because, I mean, every play you could say, I get it. I get why. I mean, I understand it. <laughs> it's hard because sometimes the, the coaches or players don't always make the conventional timeout call. I mean, in basketball, a player, the point guard will dribble up the court and just point at the referee. And they know, you know, deep down what that means. He didn't say timeout. He just points based on the context of yeah. the other team just scored 12 straight points. Yeah. We know. So it, it gets a little sticky at times. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that and, is, and, and fairness, that is true. In fairness on that, therefore, <laughs> Jonathan was not saying, therefore, the official was right to call the timeout, but he was right. in a sense explaining a slightly extenuating circumstance, but it, it's a little bit. At times, I do think there are calls in all sports where there's an anticipation. Okay, but if Smith was was maybe wanting it and it didn't get called, because does the outcome of Martinez busting it change the truth of well, I wanted it, but I didn't get it? So should Jonathan be exercised? In other words, what do you think, Josh? Uh, I mean, it's kind of hard to have it both ways. If, if referees consistently help coaches out by giving them a timeout call yeah. before the coach has fully said it. And then once in a season <laughs> or once every five, I mean, this is the first time I've ever seen it where they call a timeout that wasn't actually asked for. You kind of got to live with that consequence once in a while if the coach is benefiting mm-hmm. from the referees jumping to help them out. Correct. And then when they kind of, oh, wait, no, I didn't want you know, that. Yeah. You kind of got to live with the result. That's yeah. kind of what I'm thinking too, which means – that uh, I know he didn't seem too upset yesterday no, about it. So no, he wasn't. He wasn't. So, Josh, thank you for that. What was it like to be in that stadium? Where were you in Beaver Nation section? What was the experience like up there? Uh, I enjoyed it. I've heard a lot of people say they were surprised at how little fans there were that Washington didn't represent. And I, I don't know. Maybe I was just viewing at the wrong angle. But I, I actually thought it was a, a good fan attendance. I liked the atmosphere. I mean, I think Reeser is louder with all the fans packed in on one side. Um, and I, I heard, and, you know, I have a friend who works in the athletic department in, at UW, and they said the student section typically has been more full. A couple of the non-conference games, it was about as full as it was against Oregon State, just being a Friday night was maybe a little bit less. But overall, I, I thought it was a great atmosphere. Uh, the lights was the was the funny part. And I, I heard, I mean, John, you mentioned on the air, towards the end, there was a bit of an explanation of, a timer sort yeah, of thing, like, yeah. you know, a 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock shutoff sort of thing. <laughs> um, that, that may be part of the answer, but I'm not sure I totally buy that. For one, the lights didn't shut off at 10 p.m. It was 10, 19, yeah. give or take. I looked down ah, my phone shortly after. Good, and, uh, uh, good sleuthing on your part. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was just, it's just weird. And the other thing I heard... <laughs> indirectly that someone from the IT department, my friend goes in the elevator during that delay and someone from the IT department is in the elevator and said, yeah, we've been having problems with the lights all week. Like this has been happening and Ah. we don't know why there's some sort of issue that's been going on. They didn't know if the lights would turn off. That wasn't the expectation, but they kind of knew this thing has been happening where there's just an inexplicable sort of malfunction, and they knew they could turn it back on in 15 minutes, 20 minutes. The whole delay took about 24, yeah. give or take a minute or two. Um, but it was just kind of what they were aware of. I thought, because the lights went off right after they scored the touchdown, right? Tied up, I think, 21 apiece. Yeah. And uh, Oregon State's going to install these lights, I think, by next season. Yes. Sarah Alcona would know better. But where the lights can turn off or on to celebrate. After a touchdown, the right. lights flash, and, you know, it's a theatric sort of, cinematic experience.
experience. And I was talking about that earlier in the game, and then Washington scores a touchdown. I kind of look up and say, wait, do they have these legs too? Because it went off right after the touchdown, but it was only half, and they stayed off. It wasn't like flashing or doing anything crazy. And the weird part was they kicked the extra point with half of the stadium lights off, and no one seemed to notice. No one in the section around me was talking about it. (laughs) And then during the timeout, the other half went off, and still nobody was talking about it. I'm looking around like, do you guys not see this? Like, uh, There's a few lights on. You got yeah. you got your answer twenty five minutes later on do they have these new light bulbs? They're yeah. LED light bulbs. They're LED light bulbs. Oregon State sent out a mm. uh, a press release on this I think in the summertime, as part of hey this is what we're doing with the new stadium and for next year and they are ability to turn the switch off and on like you were describing, and um, you know that's the deal. So hopefully other schools around the league will do that. If if Washington said they've been having those problems. That means it could happen anytime again to them. We don't care, yep. but, you know, good luck up there. <laughs> yeah, Pac-12 in the dark. Um, hey, quick thing on, on men's basketball. I was there last night. A great win for both teams to make comeback uh, yeah. efforts. I, I was only able to be in person for the men's. But you could just sense in the second half, fans are getting on their feet, every mm-hmm. defensive possession, mm-hmm. uh, how much everybody just – really wanted that. I mean, I'm sitting right behind the bench. I'm in the same section as the coaches, wives and everything. And I mean, to lose the final 18 last year, we Oregon state hadn't won a, a game in the calendar year of 2022. Right. And just everyone to feel we could, we actually might finally get it and get the monkey off our back. It's uh, to see the defense down the stretch. Um, was just amazing. It kind of reminded me, I mean, Oregon state kind of needed to get back to, that first year in the Wayne Tinkle, what, mm-hmm. what made that season great with Lanks Morris Walker and Gary Payton the second and Daniel Gomez. It wasn't a lot of crazy three point shooting. Uh, it was strong defense, and and they had pretty good defense. I mean, there's things to tune up for sure, but that was just really cathartic to yes. see a win on the books. That was great. It was Josh, and you were absolutely right. The the sense of the fans becoming more and more engaged as it went along was evident. But it also struck me as not only fans just for themselves, as Beaver fans enjoyed it, I think there was a rooting for the guys, for Wayne himself, for everything that the program's been through. The fans weren't able to come in the Elite Eight year at all, you know, to the games or go to Indianapolis or really go to the games much. There wasn't much of a participation in that transcendent kind of year. And then last year, you opened the doors back up, and last year was last year. It felt to me like everybody was sort of pulling for everyone last night. Hey, we're the beeves. We're going to scrap and fight through. And to come back and win that thing, I don't know if you heard Wayne with me on the postgame radio show at all, but it was one of the more emotional times for Coach. He sat down unscheduled. It was Marlon Stewart and Dexter Ocano, and Wayne was kind of hanging around. He said, Park, do you want? I said, yeah, if you'd like to. And he'd, yeah, I'd like to. So he sat down, and I could tell, almost almost misty-eyed, saying mm-hmm. how important how special that win That's was. Great. It really is. I mean, he's talked so much about the players being coachable and, mm-hmm. and liking the team so much more. I think it just means that much more because, yeah, there's just the, the two-way street. The players want to win. They want to turn the program around and coach to see a little bit of fruit of it. Not much. It's just a, a foretaste right. for us. It's just one game. But right. it, it was it was a meaningful one, more than most season openers would be. For quick, sure. Hey, we've got Dan Belwamini coming up. We got to take some quick breaks. So let me ask you real quick. What are your thoughts on the world series? What did you have on that? Well, I think it was, it was a great postseason, and, mm-hmm. and I know there's a lot of talk about major league baseball slowing down or too many home runs and all that. And 
was a game three, I think it was, where the Phillies had five home runs was a classic example where I could see a lot of people saying, nah, just too many home runs. No, sing- <laughs> I think they only had two singles right. and five home runs, whatever right. it was. Um, and I don't, I don't blame people if that's not their style of play, but then what happened the very next game? There's right. a no hitter. No hitter. So, yep. It was uh, just the variegated style of play and the ways different teams won and different styles of Cleveland being in the postseason and Tampa Bay and the Mariners being mm-hmm. in it. I, I just thought it was spectacular theater and the, the one moment that kind of made me laugh the most i went back and watched the last time the phillies just a brief clip but when they were in the world series the most recent time yes 2009 i just saw i watched one at bat just to kind of see what mm-hmm. it looked like and Derek jeter was at the plate and he's for whatever reason bunting and he had two strikes on him and he still tried to bunt with two strikes and he fouled it off and struck out and i thought mm-hmm. man that's never going to happen again in the world no. series. And uh, for the most part, it won't. But it actually did happen. The second-to-last inning of the entire season, Kyle Schwarber tries to bunt with two strikes and, and strikes out. And I thought, you know what? Baseball's changed a lot. But there's a moment here and there where you realize just the game is still the game and things, you know, tradition stays. And uh, even if there are changes, which there are, but uh, that just made me laugh a little bit about how we sometimes I mean, over overexert how things change so much yeah. yet uh, yeah you're right a beautiful game. you're right it I is would a agree. beautiful I, game i thought i enjoyed the playoffs and especially the pitching when even when they were dominating i like one nothing games or or shutouts that or no hitters or no combined hitters. no hitters hey thanks a lot josh for the call good to talk to you we will break and then come back and maybe take another quick one because we've got Dan Pilwamini. We have work to do is what I'm saying to you, John, with Dan coming and a road show Friday at University Hero. More about that later, 1240 Joe Radio. We continue on the Joe Beaver Show. I love the connections in this in sports and life and we're the Joe Beaver Show and the connections with our friends in the broadcast world, the, the print world, the writers. Uh, yeah. Tomorrow we'll visit with Joe Starkey and Todd McKim. Ted Robinson was on last hour. Uh, Ted referenced Barry Tompkins having the television call of the play and the band is out on the field, the 40-year anniversary coming up. And then Ted, in his parting words, said, hey, say hi to Dan. Dan Belwamini was my first broadcast partner on a Pac-10 broadcast. And just, it it works out. It happens. Dan was in Gill last night. And he's been calling these games for decades and doing such a great job. And I hope still really enjoying the work. We want to get his thoughts about last night's game as he joins us. He and Rich uh, were, were a great team. Oh, they're a tremendous. Rich is a, nobody better prepared in, yeah. in the profession than Rich Burke, as Rob Nair has said of Rich. And, and so we'll get to the game in a moment. But first of all, as we welcome in the longtime analyst, former coach Dan Belwamini joining us. Dan, thanks for your time. How about Ted? Saying hello, do you remember that first time working with a young Ted Robinson? Yeah, I, I remember quite a few years ago. And, of course, uh, you know, Ted's kind of blossomed, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's a great guy and does a super job. So he's still going strong. And so are you, Dan. I could tell just by seeing you. How do You, you must still be getting a kick out of it, huh? I, I, I still love basketball, and there's nothing like calling a game, and especially – you know, when, when it gets exciting, like, you know, last night, it, I mean, it was a tremendous comeback by, by Oregon State against a good Tulsa team. I mean, it, 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 it's not a shabby team they beat. I mean, I think this, this club's going to win some games. And, uh, you know, they, they were unbelievable, especially with Griffin going for, like, 29. Right. Uh, he's, he, he's a great player. So uh, I'm, I'm happy for Wayne. You know, I, th- I, think, I think this program really needed a jolt after last year and now you're down what 16 at halftime and 
you know, everybody had their, their dauber down, and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, is this going to be a 30-point, 25-30-point game? But uh-uh. Beavers came out in the second half and forced turnovers and went, made the first five threes, and all of a sudden the complexion of the game changed. So, uh, yeah, it, it was it was real exciting. As for an opener, I mean, it, it's about as, uh, pretty close to as good as it gets, actually. John Warren with Mike Parker. And, Dan, I, I call games for Mike when he can't, and I, I called the, the loss in Tulsa and this year's team. And even when they were down last night, and then it didn't look like last year's team, even the way they got down. They just got down. They weren't hitting shots. They had foul trouble with two big guys, and so there was a lot of you know a lot of two foots and, and layups at the basket in the first half, and some some poor choices by Oregon State. But you know last year would have been a one on one matchup, and and not much of an offense with the guys not running it. It seems like this is wholly a different team, even if they'd have not made the full comeback. Would you uh, would you agree with that? Well, yeah, I, I think I, I think the chemistry, you know, it's a, it's an, uh, kind of an overused term, but I, I think it applies to this team. Eight freshmen, they've got 11 new players, and uh, you can tell everybody's pulling for, for everybody else. I mean, they were really excited after the game. I saw uh, Mariel, he's jumping around, and, and, and Akano, uh, we had him for an interview, and, mm-hmm. you know, he gave credit to all the coaches, his teammates. Uh, so they've got a spirit about them that, that's really good. And I, I really think, you know, with Marial, when he, when he got two fouls and then Andela gets two fouls, and by the way, Andela, I thought in the last 12 minutes, you know, when he was in the game was really tremendous. Mm-hmm. He, he played great. Um, it, all of a sudden, I think it took the wind out of their sails because uh, Tulsa started going to the basket. Uh, you know, there was, no, there was no shot blocking ability with the bigs out of the game for Oregon State. But, you know, they hung in there. They did a beautiful job of regrouping, and I kiddingly said on the air, Mike, I said, I don't know what Wayne told them at halftime, but whatever he told them, he, I hope he taped it because, uh, and, and I think Dexter said, yeah, he kind of lit a fire under us at half, and it worked. You know, sometimes you got to do that as a coach, you know. You know your team can play better than they're, than they're playing, and uh, they, they really answered the bell, so. Uh, you know, Gil Coliseum's great. I mean, when you know, if this team starts winning um, and and they're competitive, I know the fans are going to come out. And I've always felt for an opposing team, Gil's a tough place to win when when that place is rocking. And and we know, Mike, it can't it can rock, but you got to have you got to have a competitive team on the floor. Longtime basketball analyst, former head coach Dan Belwamini joining us on the Joe Beaver Show. I was going to get to that, Dan. Last night there were only 3,300 on a late Monday night, but I thought in the end, I don't know how it sounded or felt or looked to you, but the team energized that crowd. And if you can multiply that 33 to 6 and then get back to what you used to see as you're referring to in the day, that is that can be a special place again. Yeah, it really can, and uh, that 3,300 was rewarded. I, I thought uh, in staying <laughs> to the end of the yeah. game, uh, I, I was really hoping a lot of you know a lot of young uh, kids and, and fans would say, "Oh, it's happening." They're down 16. I think mm-hmm. you know let let's just you know go home early. Nine o'clock starts a tough start, uh, you know, to draw. I mean, there's there's no doubt about that. Uh, the fact is that you know they that the people there. Uh, they were boisterous. It sounded like more than 3,300. 
Uh, and everybody, especially when Oregon State came back and took the lead, I thought, oh, my God, I felt like there was seven or 8,000 yeah. people there because it, 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 they, all the players were up. They were running around. And, uh, you know, it was, it was kind of a special moment, you know, because of last year and what happened. And uh, really, you know, a nice start. I'm happy for Wayne I really, I'm, and for the team. I, I, I think they got a lot of good guys on this team. And how about that freshman Pope? I mean, oh, did yeah. he play? He yeah. was he was really magnificent, you know. I mean, he was he was sensational making threes, and you know, the game's not too big for him. Uh, I, I, you could see that. I mean, he's played. I think he's from Compass uh, Prep in Arizona. Mm-hmm. He's played against top level competition. I mean, this guy, I I kind of refer to him as a baller. I mean, he just it, it doesn't matter who he's playing against. He's going to play the same way all the time. He, he doesn't play scared. That's for sure. Now, are you on the regular beat? You got a whole slew of games coming up. Uh, I wouldn't say I have a whole slew of games. <laughs> uh, I've got uh, the Ducks on Thursday. Um, what Friday? I come back to Eugene, mm-hmm. and uh, they're playing UC Irvine. So, and then I'm in Utah for a couple of games after that. Hey, so uh, coach, coach, just, you know, uh, all of these guys, we're just starting to try to get to know a little bit better. Glenn Taylor Jr. is Arizona Compass Prep. Shaul Mary all spent some time there, too. Jordan Pope, mm-hmm. prolific prep. That's a school that I wasn't aware of in the uh-huh. in Oakley. I mean, he's from Oakley, California, but went to prolific prep where he's the third. Prolific all- except in our area. Yes. Prolific except, uh, except, by, except on the way to Napa. Okay, and he is the third all-time leading scorer there, and there, some players have come out of there, right, Coach? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, big-time players. Uh, they, they've, done, uh, they've done some stories about prolific you know, it prep and, and, uh, it's like compass, you know, I mean, these guys, um, I, I don't know if they actively recruit, they must, but they, they seem to have, in fact, uh, someone out of prolific, I thought went to Kansas a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. uh, who was one of the really, uh, top two or three players that were taken in the draft and his name escapes me. So, um, yeah, no, they, they have a, they have a big time program and play a big schedule. So, so, so you know, then, that, the yeah. landscape, Mike, has changed, you know, everything has changed, you know, with, with all of these, G leagues and ignite and you know, I mean, it's all, it's all different than what it used to be. It is different as a coach, Dan, somebody who's taught the game and tried to instill fundamentals. You had great success as a coach at USF. And so, you know, I mean, the, the landscape's different from that time. Is it just different? Is it is it for the good of the game? I mean, how do you feel when you mention all of these travel teams and Team Arsenal and all you know the Oakland Soldiers where where Jordan Pope played? How do you feel about the landscape now in terms of what it means for Wayne Tinkle and other coaches trying to build a program? Well, the way I feel about it is this: it, if this is the way it is, whether you like it mm-hmm. or whether you don't like it, and and I would tell you probably most coaches don't like it. I mean, if they, if they really if they dig down deep yeah. and they give you an honest answer, uh, they don't, but this is the way the rules are and you have to adapt and you have to be active in the transfer portal because it, you know, there are schools like Texas and Arkansas and, you know, you can name quite a few Portland who brought in, had a, had a good year last year. They brought in 11 new players, 11, so, you know, you adapt. Uh, I kind of liked it the way it was, personally. But if I were coaching today, you know, you bet I'd, I'd have someone absolutely in charge of the transfer portal. And uh, it's one way to get back in a hurry. Uh, it, the, the, the downside is, and, and Wayne mentioned this, 
he's coming off an elite eight year, and yet guys are you know guys are leaving the program because they feel they can get more playing time somewhere else. So you know that's that's the bad side of it. But you just have to have to adjust. That's all you can do. Also, is there a, a shift away from the prepsters? I mean, fewer and fewer high school kids would be recruited because everybody thinks they can find the more experienced player in the portal. Well, you know what's really changed, Mike, is, is the NIL, name, image, likeness. Uh, so, you know, the players, you know, the prep player will go to college if the NIL deal is good enough. So all that is legal now. So you have to have someone in charge of name, image, likeness. And, you know, young guys can go to these big-time schools and do exceedingly well. I mean, they can, they can make a lot of money with appearances, with autographs. Now, everything has to be sanctioned. You know, um, I don't know exactly how the rules are, but everybody seems to have folks in place that can make that happen. So now you've got transfer portal. And when you do the transfer portal, you're going to have to have an NIL deal for that player if he's going to come to your school. So is it different, Mike? Yeah, I would say it's a lot different. Yeah, I, yeah. I do. Dan Belwamini joining us, worked last night's game with Rich Burke, the stirring comeback by the Beavers to knock off. Tolson, I'm glad you mentioned they're a good team. I think Eric Conkle, the new first-year uh, first head coach there, I thought he had his team playing well, particularly on defense in that first half, Coach. Well, Eric was so funny at the at the shooting round because he he said I don't know what to expect. He said we've been playing against each other for so long. I you know I kind of think we're ready to go. He goes, but I I don't know. And his team came out and played brilliantly in that first half. Yeah, I mean they cannot play any better. Celebanke was fantastic inside, and you know their guard played. Pritchard played well, and you know certainly they they have guys that can score the ball. And then, you know, they kind of ran into a wall, and I thought Oregon State kind of put that wall up with mm-hmm. their defense and their three-point shooting. And then you're on the road, and things are not going quite your way, and, and the Beavers built that momentum in the, in the final analysis. They Tulsa just couldn't get it back. So it was, it, 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 you know, it was a bit of a crushing loss for Tulsa, but um, this is a building year for Conkle. Mm-hmm. He was a, mm-hmm. you know, wait a minute, he won 20 or more, what, four or five times in Louisiana Tech. And he said, you know, I can't comment on this, you know, uh, but but we have signed a couple of guys already, and, and mm-hmm. he thinks they're going to have a real good recruiting year. So he's yeah. going to do a good job there. Hey, no question. Dan, uh, what foul trouble, yes, that you and John have both talked about, but Shoal Marial as a potential guy for this team and for Wayne and some of that shot-blocking stuff he showed me, what do you make of maybe what could be ahead for Big Shoal? Well, uh, I, I think Big Shoal, the, the thing he has to now, – now, the fact is they had 10 block shots in the game. I mean, that's a lot of block yes. shots in one game by one team. So 10 blocks is, is you know, that, that turned the game around, no, no doubt about it. I think Shoal has to you – know, you'd like to see him stay away from those moving screen fouls over the back fouls. You know, if you, if you, if you foul somebody on a block shot, uh, yeah, that's a different story. You know, you're trying to be proactive. So I, I would like to see him, you know, get some major minutes. I think he and Andela are going to be a really good combination. And he's going to have to work on his, his jump hook inside. His, uh, he gets pushed a little bit. You know, he, he does not have a strong frame. And uh, I thought, you know, some of the Tulsa players did. They were a very good offensive rebounding team. Yes. They, they went after it on the offense. They had one 
one sequence, Mike, and you'll remember in the first half, I think they had five offensive rebounds in a row. Yes. And, uh, yeah. you know, so that, that was kind of impressive. But I like Shaw. I, 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 I kind of think he's got a ways to go. Uh, and, and that combination on Della and, and Nariel will be a good one. The young man who transferred in, I love the way he played. They call him Dima Dimitri Rivni from your old stopping grounds, a transfer from the University of San Francisco. Did you see him much there? Oh, yeah. And, and what oh, did you no, think no, of him? No, no, no. I know, I know yeah. Dimitri. What oh, did no, you think no, of no, him? No, no, no. He, he's, uh, you know, by the way, he's like a 4.3 student. The guy, the guy is, is really smart. Um, he transferred. He wanted more, a little more. He was disappointed. He didn't get the playing time. That's a perfect example. Now, yeah. now the Doms went to the tournament. They had a really good team last year, and I think he was chagrined that he couldn't get, you know, more more prime minutes. So, uh, you know, I told Wayne the one thing that that Reedney can do. He said he can defend. He's very smart. He can shoot on the perimeter. Um, and, and, you know, he does a pretty good job. He's unselfish. I mean, he's, he's really a fine young man. And I thought he, he had really good, I thought in the second half, he was really good. So, um, you know, he, and, um, I, I, I think he'll be fine as, as the year goes on. Mm-hmm. He's going to be a good addition. Dan, final thing. And that is back to all big picture stuff, almost historical stuff in the sense of basketball and the DNA you know it is here at Oregon State and Gill and the legends that have coached here and Slats and the great players and Ralph and Jimmy winning with Gary in a Pac-10 title and all of those things and Wayne going to the Elite Eight two years ago. You come from where you coached and played, the University of San Francisco. When basketball's in your DNA and culture, does it always stay there, so to speak? What about that for you at USF and what maybe Oregon State has been and can try to be again? Yeah, I, well, when it's there, it never goes away. I can tell you that. Um, you know, I go into a bit of withdrawal, you know, when basketball is over with. I mean, I, uh, I I can't wait for it to come back. So I'm kind of, you get you get re-energized. But when you have the DNA and the success, um, it, it's great to have, you know, some kind of history in your program where when you, when you say Oregon State, when you say San Francisco, mm-hmm. you know, people will know that, you know, they had pretty good basketball at, at one time. So, you know, getting it back is sometimes difficult, but with the name image likeness, with the transfer pool, uh, with uh, everything that's going on, it, it can happen. And, uh, you know, look what Gonzaga's done. Nobody ever thought that Gonzaga could do the kind of things that they're doing now, and they've done it for like 20 years. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a small Jesuit school in Spokane. I mean, you wouldn't really think <laughs> that that could possibly happen with, with the lineage of success that, that's been able to accomplish. But now the tradition's there. Everybody in the country knows about them. So when you win and, and you go to the NCAA tournament and you get the exposure, then every player and every basketball person is aware of you. So I'm hoping the Beavers can get it going. I, I really yeah. do. I know they've got another game in the next couple of days. Mm-hmm. And the league will be difficult, but non-conference wins are really important. You've got to build some momentum. Dan, it's great talking to you again. Thank you for making time for us. Great okay, to see Mike. you last night. We'll do it again down the road, I hope, Coach. Thanks for okay, joining Mike, us. Okay, Mike, I'd love to do it again down the road. Can't Thank wait you. to come back to Corvallis. I hope I do this year. Thanks, Dan. Dan Belwamini, our guest. Let's break. Come back on 1240 Joe Radio. All right, continuing wrapping up here, this final uh, segment of the Joe Beaver Show. By the way, two players from prol- prolific, uh, Gary Trent Jr., 
He made it into the NBA and Jalen Green on a quick Google search of prolific uh, players. And I remember seeing that when I was putting together the roster for uh, for last night's game and just taking a look at it. Prolific uh, for the game I'm going to do coming up. And I thought, hmm, I've never heard of that one before. And there's a lot of material on the, on that high school and how it's it's a Christian school in Napa. It's not part of the regular California system. And uh, so, yeah, interesting school. And, and some, some pretty good players have come out of there. Including Jordan Pope. Yeah, well, that's exactly, exactly yeah. right. I was wondering about that when I was putting together my yeah, roster. Sure. Uh, I use a, a five by seven cheat sheet that I could have at eye level at all time. Usually don't need it for the Beavers, but I might this year. Sure. No, there's a lot of play. Uh, but um, yeah, I was wondering where, now where's that? I was wondering where Oakley, California is, but Rich Burke put it right out there. He knew exactly where it was, or at least he made it sound like he knew exactly where it was. And uh, Dan Belwamini, our last guest, uh, knew uh, mm-hmm. Dimitri and knew of that area. Obviously, he's from mm-hmm. that area. Yes, he went to the University of San Francisco. And coach, played there, coach there. Follows the Don's program. At at another point, at another point, I'm hoping to talk to Dan about number six and the great Bill Russell yeah. and the legacy oh. at San Francisco Those and years. whether Bill ever came around in his days and times and. Dan coached Bill Cartwright at the University of San Francisco. Yeah, and I, I looked him up real quick. I think they're doing a podcast together. Who? Dan and Bill Cartwright. Seriously? I think I saw Oh, okay. That. Yeah. Well, then that's another thing that we should look into. Yeah. Tomorrow on the show, Todd McKim and Joe Starkey, as we'll get the Cal angle covered. With Todd, we'll go a little more nuts and bolts, yeah. as always with him. He, what does he think of the matchup? You know, is this offensive resurgence there? They've lost five in a row. So they've, the, the resurgence well, still like, has some caveats. It does. It does. But I'd like to know that what the pressure situation is. He can't really speak to it. No. Being a part of the broadcast crew. No, I think that, I think Justin is fine in the sense of even if they lose out and mm-hmm. they don't go to a bowl game, he just signed an extension. He turned Oregon down. Yeah. Justin Wilcox turned yeah. his alma mater down for what would have been bigger money and so on to stay at Cal. There's They've lost some... five in a row. They're three and six. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. we want to see them become bowl ineligible after Saturday's game. Right. right. But I think he's fine. I still feel there might be for a good coach and a good man. He's done a lot of good things in Bill Musgrave, but Bill's offense has struggled and their passing game has come to life lately. And, Plummer, who beat the Beavers last year in West Lafayette as the quarterback of record, throwing for 301 yards against the Beavers in Purdue's 30-21 to win, yeah. threw for 406 and had a great second half against USC. Now, the, 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 the qualifier there is, is that phrase, as good as the Trojans have been, they've given up a lot of yards and a lot of points that's why it still stings when ted says the best job that any team has done defensively against usc this year was trent bray and oregon state's d here it's true but four interceptions and not enough done on offense against a defense that's, that's been very vulnerable that's the beavers why, didn't take advantage no, of no and that's why this year's beaver team is frustrating because they're getting the job done on defense and it was just four short years ago under gary anderson five years six years whatever it's been but it took a couple years of jonathan's uh, uh, and getting trent in there and to really turn that around the biggest jump was when trent was named the, off- yeah. the defensive coordinator and it's just made huge strides 
But remember when the first couple of years, the team would get 15 yards on a oh, run play before no, there was, was even contact. It was about as bad as, and Yogi yes. said it was the biggest rebuild he's seen for one unit and of any team in huge. the Pac-12. And they've done such a good job this year. I don't fault them for the drives at the end because they've been on the field all night and you're asking them to come back and get it again, get it again. The offense hasn't been horrible. No. It's just Goldbrand, Goldbranson is not a guy that's going to get you a lot of stuff. He's not going to kill you either. He did in one game four sacks. He fixed that. He can do some things, but he can't. He will not give you positive stuff to where lead you down the field and score, that kind of thing. But he won't kill you either. That's why it was like, and my wife said this, and I thought, that's a really good analogy. Death by a thousand paper cuts. <laughs> it was it just, felt the other you night. Know, you yeah. could just see it happening slowly, yeah. and there was nothing you could do about it. Not any one punch to the mouth was the killer. Right. And it was just, right. oh, ah, death right. by a thousand paper cuts. So, And the thing even with Ben, uh, for Bengal Brent. <laughs> the tiger. Yeah. I know that th- there is a... Uh, a narrative out there now that people are saying with better quarterback play, this is an eight and one Beaver team, maybe even nine and oh, because you, you did a decent job with Utah at Utah in terms of the way you defended and, and had a lot of things. You outgained them ultimately, even in that game offensively. Right. Statistics are for losers. I right. get all of that too. And you did lose by 26. So that is the truth. I understand. But, Three of them were, but yeah, yeah, I know. What I the, the the idea that with better quarterback play you'd be in the midst of a great, you know, an eight and one type of year, yeah. perhaps. Yeah. I, I get that. I think there's even an element of truth in it. But it's also on the other side when you take a look. The Beavers pulled out two miraculous kind of wins, led by Chance Nolan at Fresno State. Yeah, but then the one at Stanford, you got to remember. Who was the quarterback of record in that comeback? The throw he made to Silas Bolden when the Beavers were down, I think, 24 to 10 or whatever it was. You can't make a better throw than that. Now, Bolden's catch was magnificent, but Ben did do that. And then under pressure with time running out, no timeouts, he got the ball to the right people in the right places. Now, we can give all the credit in the world to Treshawn for the miraculous catch and run after the catch, but... Ben put the ball in a spot for only his guy to catch it, and Treshawn did the rest. Touchdown Beavers and a great win on the road. There's no doubt. There's no so doubt. So he's got some stuff. Ben is the guy right now. I think the coaches absolutely. Jonathan even said, "Yeah, he'd be starting if he could be if he could be here chance. for chance." Yeah. Despite Chance having the yips when he left, mm-hmm. but that was a long time ago now. Yeah. But he may not be back. Well, I don't uh, think it's crucial for Cal. I th- I'd like to see him be back for Arizona State and Oregon and a bowl game. I think Chance is on his way back. I do. But in the meantime, I still think there, there's plays to be made. It's hard to, to fully judge the the Washington game. I know Michael Penix Jr. is an experienced quarterback, and he's a great one, too. I mean, he did he a great is, job. Yeah. But, and, and his... Because that, you know, people say, well, the conditions, and that guy threw for 298 yards, our guy threw for 87, and Michael completed these many passes compared to, I know, they're, they're the plays that need to be made in the passing game. They need to be better in that Saturday yeah. night. But 
I think I think there's a level of improvement even there for him. Uh, lots of text we can get yeah. to tomorrow. We also have some audio that uh, TJ is Excellent. Has so we've got a busy show tomorrow with Joe Starkey and Todd McKim. And we appreciate you texting. We'll get to them tomorrow. Jordan Pope will be a podcast guest this week. We've got a lot to get to. Lindsey Schnell on Thursday. Thanks for joining us on 1240 Joe Radio.